You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples plant churches and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Which now hear the word of the Lord from Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God for having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. If you've been with us, you know that for the last several weeks, we've been going through a sermon series called Cultivate. We took a break from going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of John. We, we sensed an opportunity to lean into a conversation about discipleship. Actually, where we stopped in John's gospel is framing this whole thing up. And so we kind of took a little uh, a side street here, and we're going to loop back around to John at the beginning of the new year. But we've been talking about what does it look like to cultivate a discipleship culture here at Sacred City. Church, or rather, what does it look like to reinvigorate the discipleship culture at Sacred City? And as we're coming here on the home stretch, we're starting to tie some things together as far as where we started and where we're moving to here at the end. And I think one of the places in Scripture where all of these pieces of, of the discipleship culture, of, of the gospel, of understanding who we are in Christ, of, of the pattern of discipleship, of, of dying to self to come alive in the new man through the Spirit of God, uh, of community, of of, of doing all of the things that we've talked about through the last five weeks, it all gets packaged up in a nice spot here in Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. And as I was preparing this week, I, I had the realization that this is likely to be the most frequently pass, preached passage here at Sacred City Church. This has really become a template for the way that we do church for good reason. It gives us a glimpse into the discipleship culture of the early church, a template, if you will, to show us what it looks like. Now, to understand what's going on in Acts 2, um, we have to realize that there's, there's a, a prologue to the book of Acts. Um, Luke is the guy who wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the gospel of Luke. And in Luke's gospel, he gives an account of all of the things that Jesus was doing to advance God's mission. And of course, it comes to the, the end here with, with Christ um, dying on a cross for the sins of humanity, for the sins of, of God's elect, being buried for three days, and then by the power of God being raised from the dead, the firstborn of the new creation. 
And the resurrected Jesus, before ascending to the right hand of the Father, spent some time with his disciples, kind of giving his last instructions. We've been series of God giving a command to all Christians to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded with the promise that Christ is with us to the end of the age. So Jesus, hey, by the way, just so you know, here's what I'm gonna have you do. I'm gonna be with you, so he gives you that. And then Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he still is living right now, interceding for us. And then Jesus and the Father send the Son to come and fill God's people with the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. We see this, if you read about it earlier in uh, Acts chapter two, the Spirit of God descends, fills the people of God with the Holy Spirit, the flaming tongues, they're speaking, it's going wild. Peter gets up for the first time ever, delivers the first ever gospel message with the whole thing, with the whole life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as Peter gets up there, and, and listen, Peter doesn't beat around the bush when he preaches. He's very straightforward with his language. He's like, you guys, the ones who are responsible for killing this guy under just these bloated blasphemy charges, Jesus came and died for you. And people were told earlier here in in the book of Acts that they were cut to the heart, that this convicting word cut them to the heart. They had this realization, their eyes were open. And he says, what must we do to be saved? And, And Peter tells them, repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, turn to Christ, be baptized. And then we see them here. So the, the sequence of this is, is not be baptized and then just hang on tight till Jesus comes back. It's not, just, it's not just Jesus looking to gain converts, people who said a prayer and got baptized and they're cool now, they just gotta ride this, you know, ride the coattails till time expires. Jesus takes these people who have a life-changing encounter and he shapes them into a certain kind of people. A new way of being, a new way of existing in this world. And and, and what we see here is this in Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. So they get saved, they get baptized. Now what? This is what's the now what? Now, if you have grown up in the church, um, unfortunately, it's, it's likely that your upbringing in the church didn't look like Acts chapter two. Um, maybe some of it did. Maybe some of it did, but I would say most often, especially within the last 60 years, the church has moved away from, from what we see in Acts chapter two and, and taken a, a page from uh, the secular world, best practices from the business world. Here's how to organizationally lead. Here's how to do this. And they've programized most of church and ministry and life together. So much so that I remember taking a, a, a course in seminary and uh, part of it was, was reinvent, uh, reimagining what the church should look like in light of passages like this. And, and as I laid out to my professor, he, I, I really think that we go back to Acts chapter two and that's what we do. These are the rhythms, these are the patterns. Now, of course, things might look a little bit different in application, but largely this is what we're left with. And he just laughed at me. He's like, there's no way the church does this. There's no way, we've got our programs, our Sunday school classes, our, our discipleship classes on Wednesday, not like, and so for a lot of us, that's what our experience in the church or what discipleship, our idea of discipleship was. You think of classrooms in the church basement. You think of weekend seminars. It's a church experience that is program driven. It's, it's event heavy 
And not that there's no place for those things, because I think there are a place for those things, for training, for equipping, for seminars, for learning. But, but what's happened is that has been the only, exclusively, the exclusive place where discipleship happens and the everyday stuff of life gets sort of thrown away. And what happens when we do this, a couple bad things, um, one is there becomes a sec- secular sacred divide, that my church life happens here in church places and the rest of my life just happens as is, and at least not to the same degree that he is there. And while it's good for us to learn theology, to wrestle with ideas, to, to be introspective and, and soul-searching, if we were to go all in on a program-driven church, there are some major issues that come up. First, we talked about this last week, is if this is the case, if if discipleship is all about programs, then discipleship is then reserved for the professionals. That it's the clergy, it's the staff people who are doing the ministry. Now, last week we saw that all Christians are called into gospel ministry, right? All Christians are called to make disciples. So there's there's this miscontortion here that happens there where we think, okay, well, discipleship, if it's program-driven, it's just for the pros. It's just for the people standing up in front of the room. The other misconception or the other problem that we run into is is we start to think that discipleship can only happen in specific times at specific places. And a lot of times, these times and places are relatively sterile. And what I mean by that is, is it's easy to show up and to put a face on. There's not a lot of invasive life-on-life togetherness in community, really knowing one another. And you can see this in the format of this. Usually, um, it's somebody standing up in front of the room, and everybody else is facing at that one person. So it's like we're all individually looking at one another, but together, there is not that network of relationships. There's not that that interlocked relational aspect that really takes place when you're in community together doing discipleship. And so you can be, it's very easy to become relationally detached, to to settle with surface level conversations or to, to hide behind the Sunday school answers. And the third and final one, I mentioned this already, is, is that if, if we only think of discipleship happening in, in specific places at specific times, there becomes a challenge in transferring what you learned here into the everyday stuff of life. And, and in this situation, a lot of people are exposed to a lot of really good theology, right? There's a Bible study class, and it's really good at unpacking the doctrine of election, which is great. But if that doctrine doesn't work itself out into practicalities, if if that doctrine doesn't work itself out into doxology, then it's all for nothing. I like to say that good theology is practical theology, not pragmatic theology, but practical theology in the sense that it works itself out into real life stuff. It has a direct impact on your life. And if it's not having that sort of an impact, then you're going to have a kind of discipleship that is very much split down, the secular, sacred divide, and, and, and ignore the fact that all of life is quorum day. All of life is lived before the face of God. All of life is lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ. True discipleship covers it all. There is not one square inch in your life that Jesus does not want to claim his lordship over. 
And so all facets of life are are grounds for discipleship. All areas of life are meant to lead us into a deeper understanding of who Jesus is, what he's done, and how we are called now to live in light of those things. And so there has to be a break for us from thinking of of discipleship as program-driven to thinking of discipleship as taking place in the everyday, ordinary rhythms of life. That all of life is grounds for discipleship. And I believe Acts 2, 42 uh, through 47 gives us a vision of what this kind of discipleship looks like. And so what I wanna do, I want a few things today. One, I wanna start by looking at what they do. Two, I wanna examine why they do what they do. And then three, I wanna work into some practical applications for, for us. What does it mean for us now if we were to follow this pattern of discipleship? So let's start out by looking at what they were doing as a newly established dwelling in the people. And now what? Here we are, verse 42. Read with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many Wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Now, all of this stuff that's going on here, we like to put under three big umbrellas. You've probably heard this. Gospel, community, and mission. This is the DNA of Sacred City Church. We say it all the time. Gospel, community, mission. You go to to missional community and you're going to take prayer requests. We're talking about them in terms of gospel, community, and mission. And I want to tell you something. We didn't come up with that idea. We stole it. We stole it from the word, gospel, community, mission, these three big umbrellas that everything fits under to. So here's what I mean. First, the gospel, the the umbrella of gospel. We see the people are devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, this is the kerygma, the proclamation of the gospel of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and saving people from hell through the atoning work of Christ, the proclamation of the good news. So they're devoting themselves to the kerygma, the teaching, the proclamation, and then there's the actual working out the practicalities, the didache. Okay, how does this work out on Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m.? They're trying to figure that out. What does it look like in the context of my marriage to believe this? What does it look like for me as a business owner in light of this? And so they're devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. The word of God is at the center of all they do. See, this new community that's been formed by the gospel are are people who are are grounded on the word of God. They're studying it, they're devouring it, they're consuming it. Because man cannot live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. They're living like that's true. Now, as they study, they devour. As they are reminded of the gospel proclamation of what Christ has done on their behalf, as they're learning what this glorious life of living for the glory of God and the everyday stuff of life, what we see is is they are being fueled for worship. Their theology becomes doxology. 
And we see this as they are gathering together for the prayers. They're praying together. So they're gathering, they're praying to God who is the, the, the creator of heaven and earth, who all power, all authority belongs to him, who when we pray to God, he has the power to do something about it. So they're praying to God, their savior, and they're also, it says the prayers, not just that they're praying together, but they're devoting themselves to the prayers, which I would say is some kind of a liturgy. They're, they're, they're working on spiritual formation. They're training each other. They're, they're thinking about how are we formed? How do we become a gospel-formed people? And we see worship and awe coming over every soul that's there. So there's the gospel, the, the proclamation of what Christ has done, the teaching, how does this work out in everyday stuff of life? Then, not only are they devoted to the teaching of the apostles, but they're also devoted to the fellowship, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. See, one of the things that we have to realize, and we spent time talking about this, I think, last week, was that when, when you are saved, when you believe the gospel, God, it, the relationship that you now have, God adopts you into his family full of brothers and sisters in Christ. So the gospel places us in community. That's why people, when they believed the gospel, they weren't just like isolated little people wandering around. They were all together. They were gathered. They were assembled. They were the church, the ecclesia, the called out and gathered ones. And so they lived like community. They lived like family. They were eating together. They were sharing their lives together, their time together. Now it says they had all things in common. And I think this is true in both a physical sense, like sharing their material things, but I do also think in a sort of a relational sense, that they were sharing life together. And this comes out because they had this bond through the gospel that they were willing to say, listen, I see your need and this is not a government-sponsored thing here. Don't get this confused with socialism. This is uh, the fruit of the gospel heart that, that as they see the need of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, they, they well up with generosity, giving thanks to God for what God has provided. They see the needs of brothers and sisters and are eager to meet those needs, even if that means selling what they have in order to help them out. And so you see this radical generosity. Not only is this community, you know, being knit together and it's diverse community, people from all over the place. Pentecost was a wild time because you got people coming from all over the place to, for, to, to observe a, a sacred holiday and then the church, boom, blows up. So already it's a diverse thing. And then they have this radical unity that brings them together. They're acting like family, radically generous towards one another. But they're not a community that exists solely for the purpose of community. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says a community that exists for the purpose of community will eventually bleed itself out. It'll drain it, I'm paraphrasing that, he didn't say it like that, but that's how I say it. That, that a community that exists only for community will basically devour itself. A community needs to have a mission. A community needs to have a purpose, something that transcends the people in the room and propels us towards that end together. This is why, like, uh, in the military, the, the band of brothers, what forms them together, what, what causes this strong bond 
in the trenches is the fact that they have a mission. They have an objective. Football team or any sports team for that matter, they have something that, that drives them forward and as it pulls them forward, it brings them in together. This is exactly what we see happening with the church because God's mission that Jesus came to carry out now gets transferred to the church, which is the book of Acts. It is God working out his mission through the church fueled by the Holy Spirit. And God, his purpose is to seek and to save the lost through the message of the gospel. Now we see this here. We see this pattern of mission. You're like, okay, it doesn't say anything about mission in this, but let me show you where it says this. And day by day, verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You see that day by day, people coming to faith. Day by day, people hearing the gospel and, and, and being saved. This is a work of God through his church. But, but to see this day by day fruit as people are being saved, you have to also look at the day by day activity. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They have regular rhythms here, regular missional rhythms where they are, are doing things together. And one of these things that they do together is they go to the temple together, not to sacrifice, not to participate in, in the Jewish practices, but rather to go and to be missionaries there. Now, the reason why they don't go offer sacrifices is because Jesus is the true and Jesus is the true and better temple. And so they don't need that anymore. They're going to the temple to be on mission because the Jews are low-hanging fruit. They're the people who, in theory, should be most ready to receive the good news. All of the prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ. Now, some respond. Some, we see that some respond in faith and believe Jesus is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we see some push away. The hardness of heart. Now, the people here going to the temple, they, they would go to the temple to evangelize, to, to proclaim the fulfillment of all the prophecies in Christ Jesus, and then they'd say, hey, why don't you come home and, and eat lunch with us, and we'll talk about it again there. How's that sound? So, so not only is the church, as we saw, like devoted to the fellowship of eating together as the family of God, but, but this is a place where they're, they're inviting people they're on mission to to share meals, to, be, to rub shoulders with unbelievers and believers alike. And one of the things that we need to realize, church, is how big of a role your dining room table is meant to play in God's mission. Like, your dining room table is meant to be a weapon for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. And this breaks, this breaks the paradigm of discipleship happening only at the church, only at specific times and specific places, and brings it into your space, your everyday rhythms. Now, Acts 2 gives us a very simple strategy, um, shows us discipleship happens anytime, anywhere. In fact, the command is, uh, of the Great Commission, as you go, like, go therefore, therefore go. But in your going, as you carry out your life, go with the mission of God on your mind. 
which means discipleship can happen at any time and anywhere. It happens in the everyday rhythms of life when they're done with gospel intentionality. Now, when you think of discipleship in this way, it shows us there are, there are endless amounts of opportunities for us to make disciples in the everyday rhythms of stuff. There's endless amounts of opportunities, yet too often we don't, we don't utilize those opportunities. We, we, it's not even that we swing and miss, it's we just don't even swing, <laughs> you know? We miss the opportunity altogether. Now, why is that? If there are ample opportunities to make disciples, to, to, to like foster a, a culture of discipleship, why is it we don't take them? I, th- I think we've, I've got three three probably not, not the ex- exclusive reasons, but the, I think they're at the top of the list. Three things that I can think of about why we don't take these opportunities. One is, is what I've been talking about, is that modern church has become dependent on programs and events to do discipleship. But Christian, you need to realize that you don't need to be in the church to make this, like physical, in the building, in the space of the church to make disciples. You don't need a church-sponsored Bible study to talk about the Bible or to teach others what the Bible says. You don't need prepackaged gospel conversations. You don't need those prepackaged discussion questions to have gospel conversations with your neighbor. Because we have received the priesthood of all believers, that the Spirit of God is at work in each and every one of God's people, that we have resources to minister to one another, to disciple one another, to encourage one another. And and therefore, all Christians are called to make disciples where you are. Now, I think a second reason why we miss these opportunities is because we are, this might hit close to home, we are slaves of busyness. We're slaves of busyness. Now, for some people, this could be a literal business thing, going, 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 you fill up your calendar as much as you can, because, you know, make the best use of the time. That's, that's the motto. But and the, the idea is the best use of time is just a packet full. So there's people who are literally busy all of the time that never have margin, or there are also people who are mentally busy. Now, now maybe your schedule isn't jam-packed, um, but your mind is always preoccupied with something else. You, you have an inability to be present. You have an inability to, to look at the people who are right around you and have like nice conversation. Not, not just small talk, everybody can small talk. And I think like if you're in this busyness <clears throat> mindset, small talk is easy because you can just do it real quick and it's over and then you go right back to your internal busyness in your head. But what I'm talking about is, is a, a slowing down to be present with somebody, to, to ask and to probe, how are you really doing? Like, where, where, where are you finding joy right now? Where are you finding challenges and struggles? Where, where can I breathe life into you through the gospel? Eugene Peterson, pastor, uh, he's with the Lord now. But he said something that stuck with me for years. He says, busy is not the symptom of commitment, but betrayal. Busy is not the symptom of commitment, but of betrayal. In other words, that that you think, if I just keep going, it shows my devotion to this one thing. 
But if you're constantly busy, your priorities are going to be betrayed. Like the things that are of, of utmost importance, those things will get put on the back burner. And so if you find yourself busy and unable to see all of the opportunities and to lean into those opportunities to have discipleship conversations, you either need a mind, mindset shift, let your mind slow down so you can be present, or, or you may need to sit down with your missional community or your fight club and ask, hey, am I running too hard right now? Can you look in at my life and help me identify something that I might be able to cut out so I can have more margin in my life to be, to be present, to be participating in making disciples? But I think the primary reason, the third reason why we often miss these opportunities is because we, we forget who we are. It's not, it's not actually um, a, a logistical problem. It's not actually a pragmatic problem. It's not even a skill problem. It's a problem of I have forgotten my gospel identity. I have, I have a misunderstanding of who I am in Christ. Now, one of the ways that we talk about our gospel identity here is breaking it down into four things. We talk about it in terms of family, that in the gospel, we're made family, we're adopted into God's family. As missionaries, God brings us into the family and sends us out on mission. As servants, Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are to imitate Christ in our servant-heartedness and as learners or as disciples and disciple-makers. These are the foundational identities of our, of our gospel, which we've received through Christ Jesus. This is who you are at all times. It's not like a coat that you can put on and put off. It's your identity in Christ. It's with you at all times. Now, here's what you need to know, that your identity will produce in you certain behaviors. This is exactly what's happening in Acts chapter two. The reason why people are acting this way and doing what they're doing is because they understand their gospel identity. They've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They, they've believed, they put their faith on him. They've experienced the resurrection that Jesus gives and this new life is taking place right there in front of their eyes. They identify them as a sign of spiritual rebirth and in this new life comes new rhythms. See, what we need to know and this is the why question of like first, what are they doing? Second, why are they doing what they're doing? The reason why they're doing what they're doing, everything in Acts chapter two is driven by their gospel identity, who they are in Christ. Their being in Christ affects their doing, their activity. Now, e even more, even more fundamental to them is, is that to their identity, even more than that is their delight in Christ. So it's not just this is who I am, but I delight in Christ. And so it's a delight to live out of this. And so we see them eating together as family and missionaries. We see them serving one another through radical generosity. We see them devoted to the scriptures and worship. What's that? That's their, their discipleship, their learner identity. All of the gospel identity is packed right in here. 
And when we see how the gospel changes our identity, we can see now how it changes our everyday lives. So we saw it with them in the early church 2,000 years ago, how their gospel identity now shapes what they do. But what about us? What, What does it look like for us to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life? Now, granted, a lot has changed in 2,000 years. Like 2,000 years ago, we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have cars. Sliced bread wasn't even a thing yet. You know, lots changed. But the glory of this, the glory of God's word, the glory of God's plan is that the general contours of making disciples stays the same. It's still this togetherness of eating and fellowship, of celebrating, of giving thanks to God, of being on mission together, of going places, of sharing life together, having all things. It's all the same. But what we now need to ask is, how does this actually work out in my life? And one of the things we need to realize is that everybody eats, right? You know, I know some people are on, on the, the old uh, health kick of intermittent fasting now. So, so maybe instead of the 21 meals a week, they're cutting down to 14. But everybody's got to eat at some point. So why not do it with somebody from your missional community? Why not eat with somebody you're on mission to? And those times that you have to sit, to be still, to, to hear, to be good listeners and also to be encouragers and, and even speak hard words at times because we're speaking truth and love to one another. These are incredible opportunities that God gives us to pray for one another and encourage one another in the gospel. The dinner table is an incredible opportunity. Other places, the gym. Like find, find a workout buddy and Here's the thing about this. You suffer together and your, your bond is gonna grow together. It's a crazy thing. You suffer together and, and you're gonna become more tight-knit. It's an opportunity to share life, share struggles in the everyday stuff of life. Play dates gives you opportunity to see how others are interacting with their children. Maybe where you can learn from their discipline or maybe you can speak into their life and show, hey, I think there's a better way to go about discipline. Right? You get to see the real stuff of life right there in front of your face. If you really want to see what real life is like, go on vacation with a, a, somebody from your MC. Right? See how they live for three or four days at a time. Right? That, that'll bring you together. It'll probably irritate you a little bit. But it'll give you an opportunity to believe the gospel, to move toward one another. Things like house projects or even your missional community group mission. These places where we go to help, to serve, not just sit, because you're doing projects, but to be together, to share life together, to talk about real life stuff, to ask those questions. Things that we do like celebrating, finding lots of reasons to celebrate and doing it together. All of these places, all of these opportunities are just loaded with discipleship opportunity. These are contexts for like rich discipleship conversations to happen because it's like you're really connecting with somebody, not in this sterile environment. Gives you an opportunity to listen to people, to hear their story, to hear their struggles, to to breathe life into into them, to observe the real life and maybe places where they can grow and you you can offer instruction 
And, and even when you can't be face to face, I mean, technology is, is a good gift for us to stay in contact. You're traveling. You need accountability. Great opportunity to stay connected, to be praying for one another. Now, I lay all this stuff out. All of this stuff is really most, for the most part, stuff you're already doing. It's just you're going about it with a different mindset, different kind of intentionality. But a lot of times people hear this and, and their first reaction is to say, dang, that sounds like so much work. That sounds like I'm gonna be really busy. I mean, I already got a lot on my plate. Now I gotta start thinking about other people beyond my home family. And there is some truth to that. Like, like there is responsibility that comes with discipleship. But, but for the most part, you aren't adding too much to your schedule. You're just doing those things differently now. But I think that if that's your first reaction, if you, if you hear this and you just feel this instant, like instant weight get dropped on you, like, oh man, my load was already heavy and it just got maxed out. If your first reaction is to, to go like that, I don't think you're seeing the big picture yet. Because through the work of Christ, while you are far off from God, God moved toward you. He sent his son into the world to seek and save the lost. And, and God did that, and he ransomed you, brought you into his family, set you in this, this context that should be um, fertile grounds for gospel growth. And then God brought you into his operation to redeem the world. So our first reaction when we hear God's, we hear scriptures teaching us that God is, is calling us in to make disciples, what we should be saying is, whoa, this is unbelievable. I, I get to be involved in the mission of God moving forward. I get to be involved watching people grow deep and wide in the gospel. I get to see real life transformation take place. And I get to play a little role in that. See, this work that God calls us into, it's life-giving. Sure, you're gonna invest yourself, but the returns on this are incredible. Like, perfect example. I know this is a common feeling that you go to missional community night and it's like, it's already middle of the week, you feel burned out, work has been chaotic, you had a you know, rush to put something together and you're feeling stressed out and you're just, you know, like, there's part of you that doesn't wanna go. I get it. I've been there. I'm gonna admit that. And then you go, and the conversation opens up, and we start sharing life and talking about what's going on, and people start offering encouragement and challenging things that, that need to be challenged. And all of a sudden, there's this excitement that starts to build as the Spirit of God is at work through his people. And, and we get to see God changing people's life right here in front of our eyes, and what it does, it just induces joy. Like, we get to be part of something incredible. And as you invest yourself in this, this is how the economy of God works. As we pour ourselves up, God fills us up. So not only do we get to be involved with the mission of God, our, our everyday rhythms are now loaded with eternal significance. So you're not just going to work to get a paycheck. 
So you're not just mowing your lawn or, or you know, doing a house project for the sake of doing it. You're doing those things with gospel intentionality. You're doing those things, and in the process, you're doing it with the mind to make disciples, to live on mission. And this is all because Jesus came. All because Jesus came for me. He forgave me. He saved me. He redeemed my life from the pit. And now I get to be involved with what God is doing. Now, I want you to just imagine. I think if we all had this, like, can you believe this mentality? I I think our small little church would be able to have an incredible impact on our city. Just think of all of the disciples. Like, if, if it was just each one of us had one person that we were discipling, one person that we were on mission to. Like the, the kind of transformation, the kind of, the kind of growth, both deep and wide, that could take place would be unbelievable if we were to live out of our gospel identities, making disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Our, our city would become more glorious. More people knowing Jesus, trusting in his name, working for his mission to advance. So with that vision in mind, let me just ask you, what shifts or changes in your life need to be made in order for you to engage with your everyday discipleship? What what kind of rhythms need to change? What what do you need to do differently? What, What sort of mindset do you need to take into your day? And I would say even more Foundationally, like underneath that, more pressing is the question of what idols stand in the way of that? What false identities are you living into that pull you away from your true gospel identity? As we come to the Lord's Supper today, I want to invite you to turn away from those things the idol of comfort, the idol of success. Whatever that idol is, turn away from it and turn to Christ. Receive this meal. That, that the elements are wine and bread, ordinary things, ordinary everyday elements that would be at a dinner table. Yet the Lord takes these ordinary things and he creates this incredible, the supernatural meal that we are about to partake in a sacrament that the Lord himself instituted that the, the night before he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood, the cup of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And each time that we gather together, we do this in remembrance of Christ. And we together as the assembly of God are proclaiming his life, death, and resurrection. That he has made us new. That he by his spirit, turns us from our old ways into this new way, into our gospel identities, and he is teaching us what it looks like to live out of these. This meal prepares us for this work. This meal strengthens us for this work. Not not in the physical sense, but in a spiritual way. The Lord uses this as a conduit so that we would go out in our everyday stuff making disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this day. Thank you for what you've done. We, too often we overlook the enormous drama of scripture, of, of the way that you have.
to redeem for yourself a people, a people who would be fixed on you, who would be involved in your mission to go and make disciples, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and instruct those who have heard to obey all Christ has commanded. Lord, help us. Help us to, to break out of, of the unhealthy rhythms or, or maybe the, the, the ways that we have blinders on and we're so focused with our own life that we can't even look out to, to the discipleship of others. Help us to be more mindful. Help us to have a, a grander vision of what it is you want from us and how we participate with you and your spirit through your mission. Would you send us out now as a church eager and ready to go to press on for your glory, for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.